let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Friday evening, reflecting into sacred scripture for Sunday. Uh, this Friday, as I have had a few times now, uh, Debbie Rosales, parishioner over at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church, joining me. Debbie, it is good to have you uh, with me tonight. Thank you, Joe, for having me. And Debbie... We're going to jump right in because this is just uh, too too much subject matter to not, right? This, we have the readings from Palm Sunday, and we're not necessarily going to read the readings themselves. Um, we will go into the verses as we speak to them. Tonight does afford us the opportunity, Debbie, to not only talk about the messianic mission of Christ, but how we are to interpret this. And what does it mean for us in our own life? You know, Pope Francis talked about when, you know, we, when we study theology, and again, that classic definition of fides, corins, intellectum, faith, seeking, understanding, it, it is to never remain on the outside where we can't touch it. It has to always be internalized and applied in our life. You know, he challenged the, the university system, pursue the, the theological sciences, with a deep reverence of heart. And so what we are about then on Friday evenings as we reflect into Scripture is pursuing theological sciences with a deeper sense of prayer. And what does it mean in our life? Pope Francis always asks that question. When you read Scripture, what does it mean for you and your life? And of course, this is something that the Church has has said for for 2,000 years. He just has made a point to emphasize that for us. (laughs) Um, and so with that, just, uh, you know, this weekend and Good Friday, uh, we are made to accompany Jesus up to Jerusalem amidst the crowds, crying out that great verse from Matthew 21, 9, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, you know, Hosanna is a word that means Lord save us. It was originally a pilgrim blessing that priests addressed in the temple. But when this verse was joined uh, with that, who enters in the name of the Lord, it took on a messianic significance. And what's important for us in our study tonight, Debbie, is that it brings us to Psalm 118, a popular chant for salvation that was sung during the Old Testament feasts of Passover and Tabernacle. So I thought to kind of get us going, we can read Psalm 118 And uh, what what do I have here? Verses 19 to 28, I think. 29, yes. Open the gates of victory. I will enter and thank the Lord. This is the Lord's own gate where the victors enter. I thank you for you answered me. You have been my savior. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. Lord, grant salvation. Lord, grant good fortune. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the Lord's house. The Lord is God and has given us light. Join in procession with leafy branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, I give you thanks. My God, I offer you praise. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, whose love endures forever. The critical point to notice here is that in Psalm 118, the king is not simply coming into the city. You know, that psalm, as you read it, opened to me the gates. He is going up to the temple to offer sacrifice, and not just any kind of sacrifice, but the thanksgiving sacrifice, known in Hebrew as the Todah offering. You know, in John 6, we have the Eucharisteros. This translates as uh, thanksgiving. This this is the Greek version of the Hebrew Torah. And so once we have an understanding of this, uh, we can appreciate more than the message of Christ and why he has come. You know, the crowds with their branches and their psalms have it right. You know, Jesus is the King of Israel. He has come to his city and he is going up to the altar to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving. But the sacrifice he's going to offer is not that of bulls or goats, uh, but of himself. And so the Todah that he will give will begin with the Eucharist celebrated in the upper room and, of course, consummated on the altar of the cross. The people, Debbie, with the waving of of their branches Mm -hmm. and this, this greeting of this great king, it was this expectation that this Lord and Savior was going to free them from political oppression. It was going to uh, save them from this this absence of life that they were enduring for so many ages. And yet, this is not, as we just talked about, why Christ came to Jerusalem. It was to offer himself. And so we move from this jubilation— this joy, this exuberance of Palm Sunday um, to five days later of this condemnation. A great uh, shift, a paradox of how so much can change in just, what, five, six days? Mm -hmm. What it highlights is Christ simply did not come to establish political reign or a political empire. Rather, he, he came to establish a kingdom table fellowship. You know, he did not ride in on chariots and, and horses with, with armor of bow and arrows. You know, it was a donkey, you no know, right. colt, and the armor of, of simplicity and poverty and, and the call to enter into this new relationship with God, which is, again, something that was so unexpected. We have throughout the biblical narrative, and all of the, the Gospels, this call to enter into this dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet, constantly, there was this misinterpretation of his, of his reason being here. Well, and I think that even began in how he got here as a baby, as this vulnerable, vulnerable child. He was trusted to human beings. That was not in the plan in the Hebrew world. That was not how their savior, their their king was going to come. That you know, you're you're so and this 
this whole story of humility. That's what it is. His story is a story of humility and obedience, an example to us. And that continues clear to the cross. So he begins as this little humble baby, poor, homeless, and he continues that example clear to the cross for us. From the crib to the cross, Mm -hmm. you know, as the catechism speaks to it, we have our Lord uh, clothed in nakedness, Mm. which is the... In poverty. Yes. Yes. And and, and this is the paradox, ultimately. Mm. That, you know, what does paradox mean? In Latin, it literally means contrary to expectation. So then in God's arithmetic, we have loss equaling profit, littleness equaling greatness, death equaling life. And it's hard for us to grasp. This is a very difficult thing for us to understand. I mean, what does the Baptist say? The Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. This is a powerful prayer. And this is the prayer of paradox, because what do we do, Debbie, constantly? We seek to increase right? You know, yes. versus the allowing of God to overwhelm us, to dominate us. You know, the, the word um, dominate, it actually comes from, you know, the Lord curious to, to dominate. We must allow the, our Lord to dominate us to overwhelm us in this positive sense so that we might be made rich in God. This is what lies at the heart of this messianic mission. And it's interesting, Debbie, I've been asked uh, a couple of times this past week, why didn't Jesus spell it out? And my response was not so much why why did Jesus not spell it out, but why did the people not see it? ultimately, mm-hmm. because that, I think, gets behind the real answer. It's not so much what Jesus didn't do. It's more about how the people received it, and ultimately, for us today, how we received it. Because if you look at the gospel narrative all throughout the life of Christ, what is he doing? He's spelling it out. Right. And in very concrete, particular terms, you know, it is clear who he is. He is the Son of God. And if there is any doubt to whether or not he was the Son of God, he certainly supplied enough miracles to to prove to to, to all those around him that he was someone different. And what I loved um, was he would constantly go back and to the Old Testament. He was constantly leading them back to the prophecies. They couldn't get past their own expectation of what they were expecting salvation to look like. And he would continually connect, as the prophet said, I fulfill that in your presence today. So if they had the eyes to see, he was always connecting old and new, always to see that he was the Messiah. But their expectation, as we do, we so often can't get past what we think should happen. I have noted on a number of occasions in in last month and a half that expectation leads to disappointment. Absolutely. And disappointment breeds resentment, you see. And in that, we no longer have the lenses to see as God sees. This is very real, Debbie. I mean, I think we all encounter this because we all deal with our human nature. Mm-hmm. You know, in so far as we are vested with the flesh, we will always 
have to overcome uh, that expectation with the grace of acceptance. Right. But it is in that acceptance, which is uh, blessed John Paul II would like to say, the first step of uh, conversion, that we begin to see. Make no doubt here, Debbie, there were people who, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they knew who he was. He was fulfilling Zechariah 9, Mm -hmm. chapter 9, verse 9. You know, that the Messiah would enter in on this donkey, this colt. They would have recognized that. Certainly there would have been some. But that was drowned out by this this false sense of jubilation. You know, Pope Benedict talks about this in one of his works, Jesus of Nazareth, when he's reflecting into Holy Week. You know, the the political undertones were overwhelming. And uh, so, yeah, uh, those few Jews who, who would have seen him for who he was, uh, they would have because they did not allow that expectation of maybe Christ ushering in this political kingdom to drown out their sense of godlike vision, yeah. to essentially see as God sees. And ultimately, then they would have picked up all of the pieces that uh, Christ, yes, that, mm-hmm. that Christ was fulfilling. And so, and in many ways, this brings us to this application piece, mm-hmm. Debbie, how in the world of paradox, if we are going to rise up in Christ, we first must kneel down on bended knee. This is the disposition. This is how we acquire a deeper understanding of how God works. You know, the other night we were talking a little bit about this, as Pope Francis did. Wisdom starts on bended knee, and when you pray to God and you receive the spiritual gift of wisdom, you receive the taste of God. You receive the taste of God. So beautiful. Yeah, it is. And so when you taste something once you and you like it, you want it more. Mm. Well, if you've tasted the stuff of God. Right. It's that hunger and thirst. You you just can't. It's almost unsatiable. You just uh, want more. Yeah. You know, I was just sharing with Joe earlier. I said, gosh, I feel like I, I just don't have enough time to read. I'd just love to just delve into the word of God, but he reminded me, you know, just having relationship with Christ is what we hunger for. You know, it's not just the head knowledge, it's the wisdom of God and seeing as God sees and reacting and acting as God sees. That's, that's the gospel. It really is. And yeah, we are not going to gain insight into all, all the situations that are happening around us because we read one book. It may help us better understand some aspect of life of Christ, and when we pray with it, we can certainly apply it to to certain things in our life, yes. But to understand each and every situation around us as it happens, we have to start on bended knee. You know, in the Old Testament, we had the Anawim of God. In the Hebrew, Anawim were, were the poor ones. But in its literal translation, it meant on bended knee. What's more, Debbie, is that in the Old Testament, the Anawim of God always were assigned God's special assignments. If we take up this disposition by first going down on bended knee, then as we receive the vocation that God gives us, it in turn gives us the strength necessary to do what we need to do and to begin to better understand just not what we do, but these situations around us. And again, those who were there in Jerusalem, when they saw a Lord coming in, those who understood would have been the Anawim of God, yes. would have been the poor ones, 
who were the ones at the foot of the cross? Right. Right. I mean, this is this is Mary. This is the beloved disciple. When you look at uh, different points in Scripture, uh, those who were closest to our Lord were those who had that deeper sense, and that's so important for us as we as we talk about this um, narrative. It is in this narrative our Lord gets into the importance of that childlike disposition. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth he makes the point. You know, he he says this phrase, "little ones." We identify it with with God Himself. He makes another point later in this book. It's, I think, my single favorite point he makes in all of his works, that when we look at the question, what is truth? When Pilate asks the question to our Lord, what is truth? Christ doesn't respond with words. Gosh darn it. I would have loved for him to respond with words, you know? (laughs) Why didn't he say something explicitly that we can reflect on theologically? Oh, but he did. And what he didn't say, that we should reflect on theologically in the spirit of Pope Francis, that we can apply it better. And his, his response was one of profound insight. And it was simply that in weakness, the Father reproduces himself within us in a powerful way. You know, it's St. It's Paul saying, it is no longer I living, but God who lives within me. And that, again, lies at the heart of this. I mean, why would Christ... As he comes into Jerusalem, you know, and there's all these people around him, why does he identify himself as a child? Why does he call upon the disposition of a child, the way of a child, as the way to salvation? Mm-hmm. We're talking about what Hosanna means. They just got done, Debbie, saying Hosanna, they're, they're waving the branches. Right. And right after that, he talks about the child being the way to salvation. You know, there were arms raised up. So trusting, so trusting, so innocent, so pure. I, they really trust. Thing we have a lot of trouble with sometimes. Well, and before we, mm-hmm. before we came on air here, Debbie, you were talking about uh, the apostles and mm-hmm. what they were overwhelmed with, um, fear. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, fear crowds out reason. It mm. does not allow us to, again, see as God sees. So we, uh, so we lack in trust. Right. And if we're lacking in trust, then we lack in faith. Again, the hand in hand. Yes. Trust yeah. is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. And so he calls us into this relationship, a relationship that starts on bended knee. If we're going to get a hold of what Palm Sunday is about... It really is this, because it does project itself towards uh, Good Friday. We have the readings Mm -hmm. for Palm Sunday, but we get those same readings on Good Friday. You know, suddenly all of this joy turns into all of this madness, Mm -hmm. all of this sorrow, all of this grief is, you know, it speaks the fact that, uh, you know, they didn't. But again, we don't. I mean, why do we, we do we say crucify him, crucify him as we as we read as a congregation um, this narrative during the celebrations? I mean, it's it's, it's because so difficult to do, isn't it? To it read is. those? Oh, oh it is. it's painful. Yeah, it is. I remember thinking just last year, guy, I, I don't, don't like want to say this. Yes. But it's it's what we've done, yeah. and th- th- yes. th- this is our nature. And so, it really, it's this this great challenge. 
know, this great exhortation to find that right space to be able to identify, okay, where is it in my life that I am crucifying our Lord? Absolutely. Where am I unfaithful? Yep. Where do I lack trust? Yep. Where do I let fear? I, I don't remember who did the quote, and they said, uh, you know, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And so where in my life am I letting fear dominate circumstances where God wants me to love? You know, we all have that. We all have that. We do. Yeah, that's that was Father Robert Barron. It was Father Robert Barron. And I love that because I what does too. it highlight? Principle of relationship that we talked about in the beginning. Because, you know, in Romans eight fifteen, we have that great verse that we did not receive the spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, but the spirit of sonship in which we cry, Abba, Father. The, the Abba, Father moment is, you know, this is intimacy. This is, I love you, Papa. I love you, Daddy. This is that, this is that moment. And yeah, Father Barron is right, because what Paul is saying is, is its antithesis is fear. Yeah. Because relationship is about freedom. And if we are in fear, then we are not free to love God as God calls us to love him, which is ultimately, again, this aspect of trust. We don't trust God mm-hmm. because of our fears. Absolutely. And this is certainly what's happening in today's gospel mm-hmm. as well, because there's a reason why these apostles recede. Mm-hmm. Yes. And fear, fear overwhelms them. And, you know, I'm raising my hand right now because yeah. fear overwhelms all of us all of the time. For many different reasons, but this might be the greatest challenge. Yes. You know, I don't, you know, my my daughter, my six-year-old daughter, she's still singing the song from Frozen, Let It Go. Let it go. (laughs) We need to be able to to let it go, to allow God to, to, to work in our lives in such a way where we can begin to rediscover that great principle of freedom. Because if we don't, Fear will overrun us. Fear will absolutely overrun us. One of my favorite quotes in scripture, and I just remind myself, perfect love casts out all fear. And who is perfect love? Jesus Christ. And focusing on him and letting his divine life enter me and you and all of us casts out fear. It does it by its nature. Perfect love casts out fear. And so then as we decrease and he increases, that love just radiates out. Perfect love. Amen. Yes, G.K. Chesterton once said that the nature of love is to be bound. You know, Deb, as we close our reflection for this Sunday and ultimately that which points to Good Friday, I thought we can reflect a little bit on the wood of the cross You know, when you look at the wood of the cross and the corpus on the cross, I personally cannot help but think kind of back into salvation history and how everything points to this moment uh, on the cross, especially as you take up this great theme of wood. There's an important reflection uh, if you were to go back into the Old Testament. You know, if you look at uh, Noah, you know, we have the ark built from gopher wood. In the case of Adam, we have the wood that Isaac would carry up Mount Moriah's kindling for the burnt offering. In the case of Moses, we have as part of the Passover prescription, the wooden doorposts and lintel 
that would be stained with the blood of the lamb. In the case of David, of course, we have the Ark of the Covenant made of acacia wood that would be carried to Jerusalem. Uh, You can even go into the great prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, where it speaks of the coming of the Messiah. And there we have the imagery of the branch, essentially shooting out from the root of the stump of Jesse. Wood, no doubt, has left its impression on the canvas of salvation history. And it is right that God would use the very thing that was the instrumental cause in the loss of grace, an apple hanging from a branch, to be the instrument used in the restoration of grace. Just as wood was used to build the ark that would save the household of Noah safely through the waters of the flood, so are we to drink from the spring of water welling up to eternal life that pours out from the side of Christ on the cross. Just as Isaac carried wood on his back up a mountain, so Christ, the new Isaac, carries wood up Golgotha as an obedient response to his father. Just as the Israelite faithful stained the horizontal and vertical wood beams with the blood of the Lamb, so does Christ, the new Lamb of God, stain the horizontal and vertical beams of wood on the cross. And just as David would carry the wooden ark that held the presence of God in Jerusalem, so Jerusalem would be the definitive place where we go to behold the presence of God on the cross in the passion death of Christ. It's interesting as far as that prophecy goes, <laughs> the word Nazareth in the Hebrew comes from a root meaning branch. You know, Christ is the branch shooting forth from the line of Jesse. You know, collectively, we see wood in salvation history pointing to death and life, where a branch go for wood, kindling doorposts in acacia wood, would all play unsuspecting parts in the drama of God's love affair with man, pointing towards its crescendo in the wood of the cross. The irony is rich. The carpenter of the world who in becoming man learns the human trait of carpentry, finds himself renewing the world from the wood of the cross. What of our own crosses? Every cross we bear is difficult, at times excruciating. And it's interesting to note that the word excruciating comes from the Latin excruces, which literally means from the cross. What is most excruciating in your life is what Christ gives us, gives to us from the cross. We are to bring our crosses to the master carpenter, that he would build us more and more into his image and likeness. So we're out of time here, Deb. You know, if there can be a soundbite to today's program, it really is to enter into the paradoxical nature of our faith, to enter into God's arithmetic, that with loss we have profit, with death we have life, with littleness we have greatness. This is what it's about, and if we can embrace this, then we give glory to God in all that we do. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, 
Heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.